This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We start tonight's program by airing one of the premier drama programs of the golden age of radio, Suspense. It was subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills and focused on suspense-type thriller scripts, usually featuring leading Hollywood actors of the time. Uh, tonight, that star is Joseph Cotton. Now, he was born in 1905 in Petersburg, Virginia. In 1923, when Cotton was 18, his family arranged for him to receive private lessons at the Hickman School of Expression in Washington, D.C., and they underwrote his expenses. He earned spending money playing professional football on Sundays for $25 a quarter. After graduation, he earned enough money as a lifeguard at Wilcox Lake to pay back his family's loan, and with interest, I might add. He worked as an advertising agent, and his work as a theater critic inspired him to become involved in theater productions, first in Virginia, then in New York City. He made it to Broadway in 1930. Cotton achieved a prominence in Broadway starring in the original stage production of The Philadelphia Story and Sabrina Fair. He first gained worldwide fame in three Orson Welles films. The most well-known was Citizen Kane, where he was featured prominently in the role of Kane's best friend, Jedediah Leyland. And he went on to become one of the leading Hollywood actors of the 1940s. Cotton returned to Broadway in 1939, creating the role of C.K. Dexter Haven, opposite Catherine Hepburn's Tracy Lord, in the original production of The Philadelphia Story. The characters that Cotton played on screen during the 40s ranged from a serial killer in Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt in 1943 to an eager police detective in Gaslight, 1944. Also had a starring role in Duel in the Sun in 1946, which, by the way, remains one of the top 100 highest-grossing films of all time when adjusted for inflation. Tonight, he plays a sleep-deprived man forced to sign a confession in the suspense episode Fly by Night that was first broadcast in 1950. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present... Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you Fly by Night, a suspense play starring Mr. Joseph Cotton. Well, Manning, how about signing this confession? I want my lawyer. You don't need a lawyer, not if you tell the truth. Well, my wife's cousin, Charles Borden, he's a lawyer. I want him. Look, Manny, we know you killed Garvin. All you have to do is admit it. I didn't do it. It's a frame, I told you. Just as soon as you confess, you can go to sleep. A bargain? I didn't kill Garvin. Don't be stubborn, Manny. I didn't do it. Frame. Then how come that boy Benuti saw you? He says he saw you leave Garvin's apartment at 11.30 just after the shooting. Well, after 10. Benuti's lying. Why should Benuti lie? Let me talk to him, I... 
I'll find out. What's to find out? You hated Garvin. You don't deny that, do you? Garvin accuses you of stealing money from I... the business, throws you out, so you kill him. Couldn't throw me out. Full partner, huh? Me alone. You killed him. Sleep. Not until you sign this confession. Sleep. Sign this confession and we won't bother you anymore. You can lie down on my bed here in my apartment and sleep till you can't sleep. look sleep in the face anymore. Come on, Manning, be smart. You, you Wait wanna... a minute. Mm. Huh? He's asleep. Oh? <laughs> Come on, Manning. <laughs> Confessor, I'll keep you awake forever. All right, all right, all right. You'll sign the confession? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll sign it. Sleep. Put the killer to bed, Cody. In just a moment, Mr. Joseph Cotton in the first act of Fly by Night. Gee, Harlow, I went to a carnival last night. And that human skeleton... Thin, huh? Oh, practically transparent. Lives on bread and drinks water only once a week. Once a week? Well, that's nothing, Hap. Autolite Stayful batteries need water only three times a year in normal car use. And they had a strong man who lifted a horse. One horse? Oh, listen, Hap. The Autolite Stayful battery can snap up a hundred horses in your car's engine without even half trying. But they have a big advantage. Oh, and what's that? Autolite Stayful batteries have fiberglass retaining mats to help reduce flaking and shedding and thus protect the power of every positive plate. And there was a flagpole sitter at the carnival, too. He's out to break the record. Uh, he'll never break the Autolite Stay-Full battery record, Hap, because you can't buy a better battery for your car. Uh, you're sharper than a sword swallower's supper, Harlow. Thank you, Hap. And friends, see your Autolite battery dealer and ask him for an Autolite Stay-Full battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And remember, you're always right with Autolite. And now with Fly by Night and the performance of Mr. Joseph Cotton, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Wake up. Mm. Wake up, Manning, wake up. Come on, get up. You had your eight hours sleep. Let's go calling. What? What? Don't you remember? You signed a confession. Admitted you murdered Leo Garvin. Oh. I didn't do it. I didn't kill Garvin. Come on, into the bathroom and shave. Here. Lieutenant Driscoll left this shirt for you to change into. Want you to look nice for the photographer. I didn't do it. I left Garvin. It was 10 o'clock and he was alive. Yeah, yeah. Save it for the courtroom. They'll be real impressed. With a signed confession. I'll swear you forced me. Sure, so what? You can't swear Venuti out of existence. He saw you leave at 11.30. You'll testify, sir. He's a liar. He's part of the frame. I want to see him. Go on, shave. You'll see Venuti in court. Ah, shaving mug, soap, brush. All right, all right, all right. Come on, come on. How much lather do you need? Hey, my eyes, my eyes! It worked. The 
swerving Bryce and Kogan's eyes and hitting him with all the strength I had left in me, it worked. And I got out of there, out and into the streets. They didn't have to torture me. Lieutenant Driscoll and Sergeant Kogan didn't have to beat me with a rubber hose to make me confess to a crime I never committed. All they had to do was keep me without sleep for 72 hours. After that, a man will do anything just to be allowed to shut his eyes. So I signed a confession because I just wanted to sleep. But now, now I was awake and on the streets outside Lieutenant Driscoll's apartment. It was 8.15 in the morning. And for the next four hours, I walked, trying to recall everything I'd known about Venuti, trying to figure just one reason why he wanted to frame me, why, why he said I left Garvin's at 11.30. It was no use. I I couldn't think of anything. And suddenly it occurred to me they were looking at me. The people on the street were staring. Then I remembered it was October and I had no coat. I was in shirt sleeves. I'd left my coat in Lieutenant Driscoll's apartment. Can I help you, mister? Yeah, you got a phone in here. Or down that aisle to your left. Drugstore downtown. I escaped, Mary. I got away from them. You're an idiot. You'll only make it worse for yourself. Now listen, Mary. I didn't kill Garvin. I need your help. I need a coat. I can't help you, Mickey. What? You're a murderer. Even if you are my husband, I'm not going to be involved. I didn't kill him. It's, it's all a frame, Mary. All I've got to do is find a guy named Benuti and beat it out of him. Mary. Mary. of finding that her husband was wanted for murder. I had to get to Benuti to prove it was a lie. But now was no time to think about it because it was a few minutes before one o'clock and that was good because I was near Charlie Borden's office. They went out to lunch at one o'clock. Charlie was my lawyer and my wife's cousin. And now he was the man I had to see. There was an alley next to his office building. I waited there. Hmm? Charlie. Huh? Char what? Over here. Hey. What happened to you? Where have you been these past three days? Listen, Charlie. Two cops had me in an apartment uptown. Cops? What for? Trying to get a confession out of me. What kind of confession? They say I killed Leo Garvin. Oh, they've got a witness named Venuti. He said I left Garvin's place at 11.30. But I left at 10. Well, then you've got nothing to worry about. Mickey, Mary will testify you were home a little after 10. I didn't get home till after 12. Huh? Well, after I left Garvin, I walked. We had an argument. I was upset. I spent a couple of hours walking. Well, then you didn't do it. No, no, of course I didn't. But they got a confession out of me anyway. You mean to say you signed a confession when you didn't do it? Well, they kept me without sleep for 72 well, hours. I can't I... do that. That's illegal. Listen, Charlie, I need your help. Of course. 
go back to my office. I'll arrange to surrender you directly to the DA. And I'm going to raise the roof about that confession. I'm not going to surrender. I've been framed, Charlie. I've got to find this for Newton. Listen, Mickey, you leave that to me. You can't wander around where any cop might take a shot at you. You've got to find me first. Listen, I need a jacket and a coat. Can you get them for me? Sure. I'll phone Mary right away. Where'll you be? Uh, remember that movie we went to last week? The Rivoli? Yeah. I'll be there. Back row. Make sure they're not following you. Okay, give me a half hour. What will you do meantime? I'll give you an hour because I'm going to Benuti's. I'm going to make him tell me who paid him for that lie. Mickey, don't do it. Better leave things to me. Just get me the coat and the jacket. Benuti is the one thing I can take care of better than you. caught a streetcar, and 20 minutes later, I was walking toward the swayback two-story building where Venutian had his insurance office, just across the street from Garvin's house. I opened the door and walked in. You want something? Drink, maybe? Venuti. Where is he? Who shall I say is calling? Where's Venuti? You look like you want him real bad. Come on, come on. Where is he? Take it easy. Take it easy. Slow down. You want to see Venuti? I'll take you to Venuti. Come on. There he is. There's Venuti. Sure you don't want that drink? He was sitting at his desk. Natty as ever, disinterested as ever. I walked over to him, stopped. There was a bullet hole in his forehead. He was dead. There was a gun lying on the floor. I picked it up, examined it. Two bullets had been fired. And it was my gun. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Joseph Cotton in Fly By Night. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Joseph Cotton in Elliot Lewis's production of Fly By Night. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I told you I'd take you to Venuti. What do you think of him? What happened? I found him dead when I came in. A couple of minutes before you did. By the way, who are you? Did you kill him? I know who you are. Your name is Manning. How do you know me? Fell in the picture. What picture? Never mind. Well, you still haven't told me what you're doing here. Vinny's girl. My name's Irene Conway. We had a cocktail date. What kind of date did you keep with him? He swore he saw me leave Garvin's apartment at eleven thirty the night Garvin was killed. He lied. He lied about a lot of things. I came here to get the truth out of him, but someone's been here first to shut him up. 
You never got anything out of him. I'll prove it to you. Darwin was shot on Monday night, wasn't he? That's right, why? Renuti couldn't have seen you leaving Garvin's place. We were together in my apartment on the other side of town to close to two. And what made him lie? Why did he do it? Why did he frame me? I don't know. What? Tell me. Someone paid him to say he saw me leave Garvin's house that night. Maybe. Who? Who paid him? Maybe the man. What man? On Monday, Venuti called me to meet him here at about five o'clock. There was a man with him. They were looking at some pictures. And when I came in, the man put him away in a hurry. Went right out without even saying goodbye. I know everybody Venuti knows. This man was a stranger. But his name? Didn't Venuti mention his name? Uh, no, he wouldn't talk about him. I asked him what the pictures were. He got mad. But I saw one of them. Who was it? You. That's how I recognized you when you came in. Can you describe this man? He was a blonde man. He, he wasn't pretty. You're pretty. Venuti was pretty. Venuti was prettier than anybody. Listen, Irene, you've got to talk to Charles Borden, my cousin. He's a lawyer. You've got to tell him everything you told me. Will you do that for me? Venuti isn't pretty. Listen, anymore. Irene. Venuti's dead. He's knocking on the door, Mr. Manning. Must be the police. I call the police. Look, my cousin's name is Charles Borden. He's in the Taft building. You go right down to his office and tell him. I know that's the police. I... Do you think you better run? Don't you understand? You've got to do it now. Right now. No, no, I, I, I couldn't right now. I've got to talk to the police. Just, just, just a minute. Charles Borden in the Taft building. Will you do it? You better run, Mr. Manning. Run fast. <laughs> seats in the back row of the movie and waited. In a little while, Charlie came in and sat down next to me. He had the extra coat and jacket with him. Did you find Venuti? I found him. He was dead when I found him. Shot with my pistol. Here, here, you take it. Someone's trying to get me, Charlie, and I think I have a lead on it. What kind of lead? A girl named Irene Conway, friend of Venuti's. She saw the man who paid Venuti to put the finger on me. She doesn't come to you. You've got to find her, Charlie. Okay. Make her tell you what she knows. Then follow it up. Hire detectives if you have to. Eric can sign checks for me. I've got about 1500 in my Don't worry account. about the money. I'll take care of it. I need some cash now. I used what I had on phones and streetcars. I put $25 in the jacket. Thanks, Charlie. I hope it fits you. It's my jacket. Mary wouldn't give me one of yours. I'll keep in touch with you by phone. Okay. I'm going. You stay for another 10 minutes or so. Right, right. Thanks again. Good luck, Mickey. Charlie walked out, leaving the coat and jacket on the seat. I waited ten minutes, then picked up the clothes and started to leave when a woman sitting three seats away carefully closed a bag of popcorn, leaned over and grabbed me by the arm. What do you think you're doing? Pardon me, please. Stop that man. He's stealing the gentleman's coat. He's a thief. Wait a minute, you... What do you think you're going? Now, now, let go of me. Let go. Oh, I don't... Let go. I shall that's him. That's him. Let 
That What are you talking about? These are my things. Oh, no, but they're he... not. I saw you come in. You didn't have them then. That other man sat beside you, and when he went to the, the men's lounge, you grabbed his clothes. Oh, no, you're mistaken. You. These are my things. Are you sure I don't belong to him, madam? What have I got eyes in my head for? I was sitting only three seats away. Of course I'm sure. Go to the men's lounge and find that other gentleman and you'll see whether I'm mistaken. I tell you, call the police. Let's go to the office and get this straightened out. I don't have time. These are my clothes, and I'm... Gonna... I remember you came in your shirt sleeves. Come on. All right, all right. Take me to the manager right now. Yeah. You want me to come, too? I saw him. Yes, madam. And please don't talk too loud. You're disturbing the patrons. Yes? What is it? Uh, Mr. Schreier, this woman claims that this man is trying to walk out with a coat and jacket belonging to another patron. Hmm. She says he's in the lounge. Is that so? Go get the gentleman in the lounge. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, this is all a mistake. Coat's mine, so's the jacket. It is not. You came in without a coat or a I jacket. I don't deny that. The man who brought them was my cousin. I'd left them in his office. And you won't find him in the lounge. He's gone back to his office. You say this coat and jacket are yours? Yes, can you identify them by the contents of the pocket? Well, there should be $25 in the jacket. In which pocket? I don't remember one of them. Well, we'll soon see. Nothing in this pocket. Ah, here, here's something. Bill. Yeah, I told you. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five. He could have put the money there. That's no proof the coat I came. told you it was my jacket. Now, may I have it, please? Oh, just a moment. There's a letter here in the inside pocket. I presume it's yours. Sure, it's mine. And the name on it? If it's your letter, it should have your name on it. Oh, of course. The name is uh, Charles Borden. Yes, it's addressed in care of Charles Borden, but not to Charles Borden. Oh, yeah, uh, I'd forgotten. It's addressed to Manning. Mrs. Michael Manning. Yes, Mrs. Manning is my cousin. Uh -huh. And what is your address? 5437 Booth Street, Forest Hills. Well, that's the address, all right, madam. I'm afraid you've made a mistake. This man can identify the clothing. This man's a thief. Oh, I don't think he is, madam. My apologies, sir. It's quite all right. I walked out of the theater, lost myself in the crowd, and didn't stop until I was ten blocks away. And I slipped into a lunchroom and had my first meal of the day. While I was eating, I took the letter out of the pocket of Charles' jacket. Why hadn't he turned this letter over to my wife? What was in it he didn't want Mary to see? I opened and read it. Leeds, Fulbright and Benning, attorneys at law, 1312 Q Street, Sacramento, California, 12 August 1950. Dear Mrs. Manning, this is to inform you that you have been named sole beneficiary under the last will and testament of your late uncle, Benjamin Williams. We request that you or your attorney appear in the probate proceedings by means of the enclosed waiver of citation so that we may make distribution. In our opinion, after taxes, your inheritance will be upwards of $200,000. Silly yours, Julius Benning. <laughs> $200,000. I was stunned at first. Then it suddenly occurred to me. Charlie hadn't said a word about it. 
Charlie hadn't even shown the letter to Mary. Then I took another look at the date. August 12th. Over a month ago. Then it came into focus. Cousin Charlie was playing the hand alone. He didn't want Mary to have any of that money. Charlie was the one who had framed me. Get me out of the way, then Mary. Then Charlie would be the sole survivor of our late uncle. Charlie had stolen my gun. Then I'd helped him. I'd put my fingerprints on the gun at Benuti's and then given it to Charlie. Charlie was the man with the pictures who paid Benuti to put me on the spot. Huh. I paid my check and grabbed the cab outside. At 8.30, I was running up the steps of Charlie's house. Mickey. I want to talk to you, Charlie. Anyone see you come here? I didn't bother to look. I want to talk to you. All right, Mickey. You had me fooled, Charlie. Frame me and fool me. What are you talking about? You knew Mary had inherited $200,000. Two hundred. You knew it. Never told Mary about it. Killed Garvin to get rid of me. Killed Venuti because you were afraid I'd beat the truth out of him. When were you planning to kill Mary? Oh, you're going crazy, Mickey. Now, look, listen now to me. Now, I'm going to beat a confession out of you, cousin. I swear to you, I don't know what you're talking uh, about. Confess, <laughs> Charlie. I confessed what? Confess. 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 You didn't confess, Charlie. Well, I'll get someone who'll make you do it. Someone... Who's an expert at it? Driscoll. 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 West Stadium. Huh? Ah, yeah. Hello? Driscoll? Yeah? Mickey Manning. Where are you, killer? Charlie Borden's apartment. I've got your murderer for you. Come in, Lieutenant. Come in. Thanks, Manning. I brought somebody. Your wife. Hello, Mickey. Mr. Driscoll called me and said you found Garvin's killer. Have you really, Mickey? Yes. Venuti's, too. I told you it was a frame, Mary. Who's the killer, Manning? Cousin Charlie. Now, why should Charlie kill them, Mickey? Because he wanted all that money for himself, don't you see? Because, because he wanted that $200,000 for himself. Is that why? Yes, that... Wait a minute. How did you know about that $200,000, Mary? I knew it from the day I got the letter from the lawyer's. And I said to myself, now, there's no sense in sharing all that money when there's a way to get it all to myself. So, so, so you framed me, Mary. So I framed you. Driscoll and I framed you. Driscoll killed Garvin, killed Minuti. Now... Driscoll, what's your salary for killing off-duty? Always off-duty killing. Kogan and I don't have badges. People like... Mary here, pay us the play act of being caught. That confession I made to you is worthless. No, not at all, Mickey. I have it in my purse. It's a confession a husband made to his wife. Well, tell me something, wife. How did you plant that letter from the lawyers so I'd find it in Charlie's jacket? Well, Charlie called me and told me you needed a jacket. I came to Charlie and persuaded him to take one of his own. 
Then I slipped the letter in the pocket so you'd find it. Had two people killed for that money just to get rid of me. Why didn't you just kill me and leave the others alone? I like it this way, Mickey. I like testifying at your trial. I like being all broken up because they'll hang you for murder. Driscoll? Yeah. Let's go say hello to Cousin Charlie. Hello, Cousin Charlie. Huh? Cousin Charlie doesn't answer. My, my, you really beat him up, Manny. Charlie did. Ah, Cousin Charlie is still alive. He'll be able to talk soon. And if he talks, Mary, we'll be in trouble. Hold this gun on your husband, Mary. All right. Close your eyes if you can't stand this, Manny. I'm going to start on Cousin Charlie where you left off. Leave Charlie alone. Leave him alone. I'll kill you, I know who killed my partner, Garvin. All right, Mickey. Police Department, Lieutenant Randall speaking. This is Mary Manning. I- I'm calling for my husband, Mickey Manning. Tell them how you framed me, Mary. M- my husband wants me to tell you how Leo Garvin and a man named Venuti were murdered. It started with a letter I got in which I inherited $200,000. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Night star, Joseph Cotton. Next week on Suspense, Miss Miriam Hopkins as star of Miss Bone, the story of three women living in a small-town boarding house and the unusual murder that took place there. And in weeks to come, you will hear such famous stars as Milton Berle and Howard Duff Appearing in tales well calculated to keep you in suspense. Tonight's suspense play was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morawake and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Parts of this program were transcribed. Fly by Night by George and Gertrude Fast was adapted for suspense by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Joseph Cotton may soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox production, Two Flags West. And remember next week on Suspense, Miss Miriam Hopkins in Miss Bone. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto.
And now, Eve Arden stars in Our Miss Brooks. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, most students won't have their final exams for several weeks yet, but our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has had to undergo quite a few impromptu tests recently. Yes, our beloved principal, Mr. Conklin, has taken to conducting a series of sudden little quiz shows without prizes to see if the faculty is on its toes. Fortunately, when Mr. Conklin came into my classroom last Friday morning, he found me very much on my toes due to a habit formed in my childhood of sitting with my feet curled beneath me. (laughs) Although it was my free period, I sprang to attention when Mr. Conklin entered. At ease. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brooks, conjugate the word strive, please. Strive. uh, Strive, strove, striven. Now, thrive. Thrive. Thrive, throve, thriven. Uh, no. (laughs) Oh, really, Mr. Conklin? These sudden little tests are quite disconcerting. Silence, Miss Brooke. We're not finished. Yes, sir. More verbs. Five. Five. Five, 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 five. (laughs) Now, wait a minute, Mr. Conklin. Five isn't a verb. Thank you, Miss Brooks. I knew my visit to your room would produce some valuable bit of information. My main reason for dropping in, however, was to ask you to do me a favor, Miss Brooks. As you know, Sunday is Mother's Day. Yes, I know, Mr. Conklin. Thanks to a special savings plan I started in February, I was able to send my my mother a card this morning. (laughs) But what did you want me to do for you? I'd like you to take this package home with you and keep it until Sunday morning. It's a little Mother's Day remembrance for Mrs. Conklin. I don't want her to stumble upon it before time. Wonderful woman, Mrs. Conklin, and she's trained our daughter Harriet to be a duplicate of herself. Really? Yes. Between them, they're the two biggest snoopers in the county. (laughs) That makes it unanimous. Uh, I mean, I'll be happy to keep the package for you, Mr. Conklin. Thank thank you, Miss Brooks. I hope my daughter Harriet remembers Mother's Day. Lately, she's had her mind on nothing but that moon-eyed, calf-brained Walter Denton. (laughs) Walter isn't so bad, Mr. Conklin. Of course, he's not a brilliant student. Brilliant? Walter Denton is Madison's gift to (laughs) subnormality. The thing that annoys me most is the way he bounces. He never goes anywhere. He he always bounces there. Hi, Miss Brooks. I just thought I'd bounce in for a minute. (laughs) Well, if it isn't the human handball. Ah, hello, Mr. Conklin. Oh, if I'm interrupting anything, I'll just bounce along and... No, Walter. Mr. Conklin was about to dribble back to his office. (laughs) Uh, You were finished with me, weren't you, Mr. Conklin? Quite. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Hasta la vista, Mr. Conklin. I learned that in Spanish. It means see you later. Oh. (laughs) Well, no si lo veo, I'll stay primero. What does that mean, Miss Brooks? That means, not if I see you first. <laughs> now, what can I do for you, Walter? Well, I need some advice, Miss Brooks. It's about a Mother's Day gift, but a very special type of mother, Miss Brooks. That is, well, I know it's impossible right now, but just for supposition's sake, suppose you woke up one day and found yourself a mother. 
I have a mother. Of course, she's miles away. No, but... <laughs> no. I don't mean it that way, Miss Brooks. I mean, if you awoke to find that you were a mother, what would your first question be? <laughs> What did it weigh, Doc? <laughs> Are you sure, Miss Brooks? Are you quite certain you wouldn't say, How is my husband? Not me. I might say, Who is my husband? <laughs> no. Miss Brooks, I'm serious. My dad told me that was my mother's first concern after she knew I was all right. You know, she thinks of us constantly and never of herself. But me... What do I do in return? I don't get out of bed when she wakes me. I'm always late for my meals. I never help her with the dishes, and I leave my clothes all over the house. Well, Sunday is Mother's Day, Miss Brooks, and I've got to make it up to her. Well, that's pretty short notice, Walter, but I have a suggestion for you. You have? Yes. Sunday morning, wait till your mother starts to make breakfast. When you're sure she's in the kitchen, close the door quietly behind her. Then? Then gather up all the clothes that you've scattered around the house. Then? Then put them in a big suitcase. Then? Run away from home. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just teasing you, Walter. There's only one way you can make your mother happy, and that's by turning over a new leaf. Well, I'll try, Miss Brooks, but meanwhile, just supposing again... What kind of a present would you like if you were a mother? Oh, I wouldn't care much about presents, Walter. I'd just be happy if I had all my beloved children around me. Gee. Well, of course, my mother only has this one beloved child. Me. <laughs> but it's a lovely sentiment. However, I'd still like to figure out a little gift of some sort. Well, what would make a young mother like yourself happy? A young father like Mr. Boynton. <laughs> Uh, which reminds me, Walter, it's time for me to get down to his laboratory and pick him up for lunch. Oh, did he invite you for lunch today? Of course he did, about ten minutes from now. Now, tell me, Walter, were you able to find out what kind of a gift Miss Brooks would like? I couldn't find out a thing, Harriet. But we've got to get her something. What's the good of naming Miss Brooks our mother away from mother if we can't surprise her with something she wants? Now, let me see. We'll organize a committee, pick out a gift, and give it to Miss Brooks. Great, Harriet. Then tonight will officially become Mother Away from Mother's Day night. Well, I certainly enjoyed that lunch. Our cafeteria cook seems to be getting better. He should be getting better. He eats his meals across the street. <laughs> uh, I meant the food's improving. Now that we've finished lunch, Miss Brooks, I, uh, I have a surprise for you. Surprise? What is it, Mr. Boynton? Uh, guess. One of your guinea pigs died and left you a million dollars. No. Then I give up. Well, Miss Brooks, I want you to meet my folks. Why, Mr. Boynton, you've only known me for five years. This is so <laughs> I just found out they were coming to town myself. You see, they usually spend Mother's Day with my married brother, but Mom decided that this year it's my turn. To do what? Oh. <laughs> you mean your turn to spend Mother's Day together. Oh, that's right. Oh, you'll love my mother, Miss Brooks. She used to be a schoolteacher, too, you know. As a matter of fact, she worked herself up until she was a principal. You've got to get pretty worked up to be a principal. 
Oh, I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. <laughs> and you'll be crazy about my dad. Oh, what a sense of humor he's got. You know, he's the one who told me the joke about the quiz master who called out, I've got a lady, doctor. But before he could ask her any questions, she stuck a thermometer in his mouth and took his pulse. <laughs> Isn't that his scream? <laughs> Your father sounds like more fun than a barrel of depressed monkeys. Uh, may I ask you a rather personal question about your folks, Mr. Barton? Oh, certainly, Miss Brooks. What is it? How long did they go around together before they were married? Nine years. <laughs> I see. Folks believed in long engagements in those days, I guess. Oh, uh, they weren't engaged until six weeks before the wedding. Six weeks? Mm-hmm. Once Dad makes up his mind about something, he's greased lightning. <laughs> Could have used a little greasing the first eight years. <laughs> I'll certainly be looking forward to seeing them, Miss Boynton. Uh, when are they arriving in town? Well, this afternoon, Miss Brooks. I'll have to check them into a hotel for the weekend. I've just got a small bachelor apartment. Yes, I know. You've told me about it. Maybe your folks would uh, <laughs> like to drop over to Mrs. Davis's tonight. I'm sure my landlady wouldn't mind my dusting the living room a little. Well, that's just fine with me, Miss Brooks. That'll give the folks a chance to rest up from their trip and have some dinner before they, uh, before they meet the girl about whom they've heard so much. Why, Mr. Boynton, you mean you actually wrote to your folks about me? Oh, and how, Miss Brooks? I I've written them many times about how gay and youthful and exuberant you are. I am? I mean, you have? <laughs> darn right. I remember in one of my most recent letters to them, I said you were more like a pupil than a teacher. In fact, I think that was a letter in which I described you as a, a great big overgrown kid. <laughs> Maybe I better take something. <laughs> you should have seen the answer I got from Dad. He said, whatever you do, son, don't rob the cradle. <laughs> Leave it to Dad. Oh, he was jesting. Of course, he loves youngsters. Mr. Boynton, you've given me an idea. What kind of an idea, Miss Brooks? If your father turns me down when I ask him for your hand, maybe he'll adopt me. <laughs> home right after school and put Mr. Conklin's gift to his wife on my dresser. Then I started to make myself and the house as presentable as possible for Mr. Boynton's parents. First of all, I took a shower and set my hair in pin curls. Then I put on an old oversized house dress, which I had borrowed from Mrs. Davis. This intriguing combination achieved the happy effect of making me look like a rat drowning in a Quonset hut. <laughs> then I went into the living room to get things in order. When I got there, Mrs. Davis had just finished vacuuming. Oh, Connie, will you pull the plug out for me? My back's been bothering me lately. Certainly, Mrs. Davis. There. Say, this vacuum cleaner's pretty old, isn't it? Yes, indeed. But it's held up remarkably well. I bought it in 1932. 1932? Yes. This Hoover came in when the other one went out. <laughs> Well, just so the place looks nice and neat for tonight. You know, I've never met Mr. Boynton's parents before. I know you haven't, Connie. And first impressions are so important. That's why I sent our sofa and all the chairs out to be recovered. What? 
Every chair in the house is at the upholsterer's, Tommy. But don't worry. Stretch Snodgrass took them down for me, and he promised to bring them back by six o'clock. Stretch Snodgrass? Look, Mrs. Davis, Stretch may be a fine athlete, but when it comes to mentality, he's strictly a third strike. Why, he's liable to forget where he took the chairs. Oh, I don't think so, Connie. You know how absent-minded I am, and even I couldn't forget the name of this upholsterer. Why not? Because he has a very odd name. What is it? What is what? <laughs> the name. Whose name? <laughs> the upholsterer. Upholsterer? Yes. Look, Mrs. Davis, the sofa and all our chairs are be- being recovered today. Well, they can certainly use it. <laughs> Did you send them, Connie? Fellow with a very odd name. I never can remember it. <laughs> I'm sure it will come back to you later. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to go out and back and look for our cat. Minerva? Is she missing again? Mm-hmm. She had a date this morning. <laughs> a date? Yes, I, I heard her making it last night. <laughs> She should be back by now. She knows how I worry about her. Well, you let me know if she comes in the front way, Connie, and I'll take a look back here. All right, Mrs. Davis. That's funny. Minerva never bothered to ring before. <laughs> Coming! How do you do, my dear? How do you do? I'm Philip's mother. Philip? Yes, Philip Boynton. I'm Mrs. Boynton. Oh, but that's impossible. You won't be here until tonight. <laughs> I mean... Come in, Mrs. Boynton. You don't have to tell me who you are, my dear. Philip has written so much about you. He has? Yes, he says Miss Brooks wouldn't know what to do without you, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> well, I try my best to please... Mrs. Davis! Did you call, Connie? That's Mrs. Davis, Mrs. Boynton. I'm Miss Brooks, such as I am. Uh, we've got company, Mrs. Davis. Oh, she came in the front way, did she? <laughs> yes, yeah, she's right here in the living room. Well, you tell her she's a wicked cat. And... <laughs> yes, Mrs. Davis, you're a wicked cat and get under the... No! <laughs> oh, you'll have to forgive me, Mrs. Boynton. I, I didn't expect you until after dinner, well, and I'm a little... That's perfectly all right, Miss Brooks. As a matter of fact, I owe you an apology for not recognizing you. But it was rather dim in here, and I... Not dim enough. Uh, where's Mr. Boynton? Or should I say, where are Mr. Boynton's? Or Mr. Boynton? <laughs> where is everybody? <laughs> Trouble parking the car. Oh, I wanted to meet you first myself anyway. Philip's written so much about you. You must see an awful lot of each other. Well, we do teach at the same school. I understand you were a teacher at one time, Mrs. Boynton. Oh, yes, indeed, for many years. It's remarkable. You still look so well-fed. Are you... <laughs> um, may we come in? Oh, it's the boys. Hello, Philip, my dear. Oh, hello, Mom. Well, I see you two have met. Oh, yes, indeed. We're old friends by now. Well, here she is, Dad. How do you do, my dear? I hear you've been just like a mother to Miss Brooks, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> this house dress has got to go. <laughs> this isn't Mrs. Davis, Harvey. This is Miss Brooks. What? Oh, well, you know what I always say. A bad beginning makes a good finish. 
If not that I'm finished, we happen to be of English extraction. <laughs> and say, say, speaking of extraction, I visited my dentist last week, and he told me two of my teeth had to come out. So I said, what are you going to charge me for pulling those two teeth, Doc? Ten dollars, he said. Oh, says I, then what will you charge just to loosen them a little? <laughs> Told you. <laughs> oh, what a sense of humor. No, it's nothing. <laughs> He's hot stuff, all right. Oh, he sure is. But why are we all standing out here in the hall? Yes, let's all go and stand in the living room. <laughs> Just follow me. Well, here we are. Now then, Mrs. Boynton, if you'll just come over to this lamp. This is a very comfortable place to stand. <laughs> and, Mr. Boynton, you can stand over there by the piano. I don't understand, Miss Brooks. Where are all the chairs? They're out being recovered. I didn't expect you for hours yet, Mr. Boynton. This is a terrible thing to do to anybody. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, but it couldn't be helped. You see, there's a convention in town, and I couldn't get the folks' accommodations anywhere. You know how big my room is, and, well... I wondered if you and Mrs. Davis could put the folks up for the weekend. Why, Phillips, I'm surprised at you. You know better than to whisper in front of others. Oh, I'm sorry, Mother. I was just explaining our predicament to Miss Brooks. She was saying how delighted she'd be to have you stay for a couple of days. Well, now, that's what I call whopping hospitality. It's a whopper, all right. <laughs> with the garbage, Connie. I just... Oh, I beg your pardon. Uh, this is Mr. and Mrs. Boynton. And this, contrary to popular opinion, is Mrs. Davis. How do you do? Uh, good afternoon, Mrs. D. Nice little place you've got here. I've just invited the folks to spend the weekend with us, Mrs. Davis. If you don't mind my doubling up with you, I figured they could have my room. Well, that's perfectly all right. Oh, dear, the upholsterer. You folks must be tired after your trip. Why don't you go to bed? <laughs> bed? Bed? But it's only 4.30 in the afternoon. Oh, she was only kidding, Mrs. Boynton. Mrs. Davis, why don't you take the folks up to my room? <laughs> well, I could do with a bit of freshening up at that. Yeah, nonsense, Mother. You're as fresh as the day I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it out, Dad. Yes, cut it out, Dad. <laughs> well, Miss Brooks certainly has a comfortable room, Harvey. Yes, indeed. That little catnap is just what the doctor ordered. Tell the truth, Harvey. Don't you think Miss Brooks is setting her cap for Philip? Oh, is that a cap? I thought that shroud she was wearing had a snood on it. <laughs> oh, be serious, Harvey. We both know he'll make a wonderful husband when he grows up. When he grows up? <laughs> <laughs> to me, he's still a baby. You know how innocent he is. Yes, and sometimes I think it's all my own fault. Sometimes I think that by now I should have sat him down and had a man-to-man -man talk with him. Although my father didn't have a man-to-man -man talk with me until I was past 30... And at that, I married you anyway. <laughs> hey, hey, what's this package in the dresser here? It says, for mother. Must be for you. Oh, well, now, wasn't that thoughtful of Miss Brooks? She got a Mother's Day gift for me when she heard I was coming. I'm going to open it right away. Yeah, Mother's Day isn't until Sunday. Now, you know I'd never have the patience to wait. Oh, now, let's see. What? Why, what's this? A Black silk negligee. Well, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> this, this can't be.
that be for me. Hey, look. Look, this card fell out when you opened it from the package. It says, for baby from her goodie. Well, I'm going to find out just where this came from. Oh, Miss Brooks. Yes, Mrs. Barnum? Would you come here a moment, please? Certainly, Mrs. Barnum. What can I do for you? Well, I opened a package by mistake and found this inside of it. A black sheer negligee. There was a card with it that said, for baby from Goody. Goody? Oh, that must be short for Osgood. Why, of course, that was Mr. Conklin's gift. Mr. Conklin? The principal of Madison High? Yes, isn't he a devil? (laughs) (laughs) He asked me to keep it for him so his wife wouldn't discover it before Mother's Day. Oh, it's for his wife. Yes. Who did you think it was for? Don't answer that. (laughs) I can tell from the position of your eyebrows. My eyebrows? Yes, Mrs. Boynton. You'd better drop them a notch. You're pushing back your hairnet. Oh, this dinner certainly is delicious, Mrs. Davis. Well, thank you, Mr. Boynton. But Miss Brooks is the one who deserves the credit. She prepared it all. Oh, come now, Mrs. Davis. You opened every bit as much as I did. <laughs> Eat it slowly, Philip. <laughs> yes, Mother. Remember, your stomach has no teeth. Well, maybe that's just as well. If it got too hungry, you could chew off your suspender button. <laughs> <laughs> he, he always gets me when I've got a mouthful. <laughs> you had a mouthful. Here's the napkin. <laughs> Philip, you're such a baby Well, you're right there, Mrs. Boynton He's nothing but a great big overgrown kid Now, that's funny That's the same phrase Philip used In describing you in one of his letters Well, she is, Mother You ought to see her around the school The students just treat her like one of themselves Yes, indeed We kids have some great old times together <laughs> I'll end with Connie Excuse me, folks I wonder who that could be Well, come in, kids it's Walter and Harriet, Connie. Oh, we didn't mean to disturb you, Miss Brooks. Oh, that's all right, Walter. I was just telling the folks how informal we are at Madison. Mr. and Mrs. Boynton, may I present Harriet Conklin and Walter Denton? And now, Miss Brooks, we would like to present something to you that expresses the devotion and reverence felt toward you by the entire student body. Oh, what is it? It's a shawl. A shawl and a handsome pair of knitting needles to go with the rocking chair to which you're so attached. (laughs) Plus which, you have been chosen our mother away from mother. Oh, no. I'll go to the piano, Walter, and you sing the song we've written. Okay, Harriet, wait till you hear this, folks. All set, Walter. The B stands for the books she helps us study. The R is for she's righteous, also pure. <laughs> the O is for the fact that she's our buddy. The second O is likewise, I am sure. <laughs> the K is for okay, she rates about. The S is for her sadly wrinkled brow. (laughs) She's motherly, just like Elsie the cow. (laughs) We love you dearly. Miss Brooks, that's me. 
And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, several days later, Friday night came to an end. As I escorted Mr. Boynton to the front door, he was in a strangely mellow mood. You know, Miss Brooks, I'm a man of many dreams. But more often than not, I find I'm shooting too high. Shooting too high, Mr. Boynton? Oh, yes, in... Well, in trying to find the right girl, for instance. It seems that subconsciously I'm always looking for a girl who's just like my mother. Attractive, yet sweet and unselfish. Well, don't give up the search, Mr. Boynton. Someday you're liable to find such a girl right under your nose. And I think that's a very nice location. (laughs) What I mean is, when you gave up your room for Mother, I suddenly realized you're not only attractive, but also sweet and unselfish. So... Miss Brooks, instead of just shaking hands like we usually do... Yes, Mr. Boynton? Well, I'd like to say goodnight to you the way I do to my mother, with a kiss. A kiss, Mr. Boynton? Yes, on the forehead. (laughs) There you go, shooting too high again. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Lustre Cream Shampoo, the soft, glamorous, caressable hair, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis, Lester White, and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch under the direction of Maurice Carlton. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North. The exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lights Out, followed by Jack Benny. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.